You're listening to Behind the Wheels with Doug Mason, Dave Walters, and Mike Yeagley. This is a show where we talk about heavy truck and medium-duty axolands. Doug, Dave, and Mike bring close to 100 years of experience and expertise in the transportation business. Join us once a month to learn new things about axolands. Sponsored by Alcoa Wheels, the global leader in aluminum wheel innovation. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Wheels. I'm Mike Yeagley. I'm Doug Mason. And I'm Dave Walters. So today we have a, a special show for you. Uh, we're going to have old wise tales. And I'm not, we're not calling it wives tales because we don't want to discriminate here. These, these are people who think they're wise, men and women. They have all sorts of ideas on wheels and maintenance of wheels. And we've covered them in different podcasts we've had over the years. But we're going to pull them all together into one podcast here where we we cover a bunch of them. And just going through the kinds of stuff that we see out in the field and over and over and over again that needs some sort of uh, rectifying. So let's get started. And I'm going to kick it off with, hey, Dave, what's your favorite? My favorite what? Wisedale? Yeah. I got to say that most of the people in the industry, this I'll start with the one that I was at the top of my list. Tighter the better. And that is a common, when we do training classes, the first thing the guys tell us is tighter the better. That's the, that's the German that, good and tight method. That is the ger- German good and tight. Now, right. I'd like, to hear, I'd like to hear Doug tell why tighter the better isn't practical. Yeah, it's uh, it's a, definitely a misconception. I always think if you can turn it a little bit more, then it should stay on a little bit longer. But uh, that's going to end up being the reverse if you're not careful. You end up uh, basically stretching the stud, and in that you can create permanent damage rather than elastic damage. Think of a rubber band; it'll snap back. A, uh, a stud basically does the same thing. It's it holds tension uh, between the the nut and the back. Uh, backing plate to hold the wheel in position. And so when you over tighten it, you could think of it almost as over stretching a rubber band and it will not go back to its original position. And therefore you'll get potentially some fatigue starting occurring in that permanent deformation area. And uh, I think you've seen them, Dave, we've seen them on different uh, vehicles where uh, you just basically bust the studs. And so by over tightening and under tightening is also a problem that Maybe we don't necessarily need to address as a wise tale because people know things that aren't tight enough or isn't good. But uh, over-tightening is, is bad from that perspective. So one of the things that I've, I've done when I was out in the field visiting customers is I would, I would carry along with me a bunch of springs, just the, the kinds of springs you see in a click pen, the, the kind of pen that you, you have the clicker in it. You take that spring out. And you can pull it. And so long as you pull it a little bit, it goes back to its original shape. But once you pull it too much, it'll never go back to its original shape. And it'll never get its, it'll never really pull things together like it's supposed to anymore. And a stud is exactly just like that. When we engineer a wheel end, we treat that stud like a spring, just like a a rubber band, like Doug was saying there. And you pull it too much, and now it's not holding the wheel on anymore. Uh, so that you go that good and tight, you go the German good and tight method, you pull that too much, and that stud it loses its spring. 
and now it's not really doing anything. It's just hanging out there going along for the ride. It's not holding the wheel on anymore. It's not helping to hold the wheel on. You're relying on those other studs that are properly torqued. So I guess we should uh, just say, how should it be properly torqued? And I know Dave TMC has done a lot of work on this and standardized actually the, uh, the torques that are supposed to be used with the M22 studs and nuts. You want to just cover that for a minute so people can get an understanding? Yeah, really the proper method, you know, TMC is we want to do the star pattern and that's starting at the top one and the bottom one. And really why that's critical is if you, when you're putting on a set of dual wheels, the outer wheel is going to lean over. So you want to draw that, you know, we call it snug it. And you really want to do this with like a half inch gun. So you snug up the top one, you snug up the bottom one, then you snug them up. Okay, snug them up um, just with a half-inch gun, you know, can get them close to 300 foot-pounds. It's when they then come in with the big gun, the one-inch gun, and go around and go bop, 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 bop. So most of the TMC people have figured out that getting the one-inch guns out of the shop is probably the safest thing they can do. They might have a three-quarter-inch gun, but even a three-quarter-inch gun could probably go past that 450 to 500 foot-pound torque. So they basically now, with with how powerful even the half-inch guns are, have their mechanics run them up down with the half-inch gun, and then they take a torque wrench, or a lot of them now are going to either a pneumatic uh, blue torque or, you know, tool or a electric type of tool. Uh, they even have electric calibrated devices now, and then they run them up with that just for sheer speed. Right now in the industry, it's getting them to 450 foot-pounds to 500 you know, time is money. Technicians are, it's all time high of shortages. So right now, a lot of them is going to them electric and pneumatic tools to try to save time. But they do a very good job. They get them up to torque. You can still do it with a torque wrench. But like I said, being practical, those tools have become really popular over this period of time we're in right now. And I was with the fleet uh, the other day, um, just a few weeks ago. And they had had their first electric one that you were talking about, uh, Dave. And the ease with which they can move around the truck and do everything and, and have everything set, it definitely would be a great time saver for any shop. That gets into, you know, one of the problems with the Gooden type method is it's fast in the beginning, right? But it's going to cost you in the long run. You're going to have problems with maintaining the torque on those axle ends. You might have a wheel off. It's a little bit of cost on the front end, a little bit more time on the front end. Uh, or if you have the right equipment, it's not even more time. It's just a little more cost, but it pays off in the long run. It so really we, does. It really does. Another wise, wise tale out there is that, oh, I've got it. I've got everything torqued up. I want to make sure it doesn't come. I don't lose any torque. I'm going to put these little nut lock caps on. What do you think of those, Dave? Oh, boy. When I tell people, because we actually, during Wheel Torque Solutions, proved that this was a fallacy, and waste management had them on every one of their trucks at one time. 
And uh, to prove that, to say, hey, look, most of the time when you lose clamp load in the joint, the nuts probably not the issue of backing off because we're really good at being good and tight. So something else loosens up. You know, maybe a brake drum wasn't seated properly or you had a bunch of dirt and debris in the system or you've yielded a stud. So those little things you put on the end that everybody feels so safe and happy and secure about, it's basically telling us nothing because the joint's probably going to be loosened up before those things actually start turning or twisting. And it's not a solve-all problem. It's it's in the whole joint of that wheel system. So right. unfortunately, you guys that have those, you think you feel good at night and sleep well, but they're really not telling you the hidden hidden inside the joint, the other things that could happen that mostly happen. The nuts backing off is not one of the things that normally happen. You're it's measuring the wrong work. thing. You're measuring the wrong you are, thing. You're on uh, 180 degrees on completely the other side where you need to worry about. <laughs> right. Because we're good at good and tight. The, <laughs> the German method is very good in our industry. But unfortunately, the other parts of cleaning, checking the studs, you know what I mean? And uh, getting the brake drum seated and all that kind of stuff is the other part. So there's another wise tale out there that we see all the time. And I I actually just had a customer bring this up recently where they were talking about the pilot pads and the role of the pilot pads. And there was a huge misunderstanding about the role of the pilot pad. So let's first of all, make sure everybody understands exactly what those pilot pads are and then talk about what they're there for and what, what they do and what they don't do. Doug, you want to cover the pilot pads for a little bit here sure. and just sort of describe what they are and what they do? Yep. As you look at a hub, it'll be different in different manufacturers and hub ends. Some have four or five, or you could have a full 360 on more lightweight trucks, not on the big commercial trucks we're typically talking about. But again, they call them pilot tabs for a reason because they help pilot the wheel into position. And then as you obviously put the wheel over the studs and you begin torquing down, the load is carried between the, like a clutch theory. I don't know if people would understand that, but like a clutch theory, two plates coming together and the the friction and the the force between the two surfaces is what holds that wheel in place and that's why we talk about the clamp load when we talk about the lug nuts so the pilot tabs uh, do not carry any load uh, they are simply there to ensure that the wheel is centered as well as possible we have very tight tolerances in the pilot bore area uh, for that reason because if you were to take a look at a bolt hole on a stud you can see that there's plenty of clearance, but uh, between the pilot tabs and the pilot bore of the wheel, very tight tolerances. So you get a wheel very centered, obviously to improve the ride, uh, tire life, all that type of thing. So they do not carry any load. It is all, again, comes down to the nuts and being torqued to the proper uh, foot pounds to have the proper clamp load between the mounting surfaces of the wheel and the hub. Dave, you got anything to add? Yeah, the one thing that I'll add is 
and this is so funny because this ain't the funniest story I'm going to tell you at the end, but this story was pretty neat because uh, the pilot pad, the hub really lines up two things. There's a outer ledge that actually seats the brake drum into place and then your pilot taps. And so this ledge, I, I got sent a picture from our QA department asking me what caused this on a wheel. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow. I looked right beside me and here's my close friend, Roger May, sitting beside me at this TMC meeting. I show him the picture. I said, Roger, what caused that little indention? He says, they put the wheel on without the brake drum. <laughs> Just as calm and as collective as anything. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh, my goodness. That's like yeah, because the the drum seating area is bigger, right? So it, it's going to make that mark, you know what I mean? Yep. And he's like, yep. unfortunately, I've seen this a few times in my life, you know what I mean? And I'm like, what a coincidence, sitting beside the hub guru. And so I responded back to our QA department. Here's what happened. And they're like, by a guy that has 45 years of being in the field, you know, we always say five days a week, but most of the time we're out there more than that. So so funny when you see that but they didn't put the brake drum on they put the wheel on which now with this brakes you don't put the drum on but if you do that on a hub like that you're gonna create these little marks so it was kind of interesting the only thing i'd like to add to this uh discussion is uh a little bit of math if you torque each stud that we talked previously about each stud acting like a spring and when you put the nut on there and torque it to 500 foot-pounds, even uh, 450 foot-pounds, but we'll say the spring force of that one stud is somewhere in the neighborhood, at least what, what I calculated, if I remember right, was something like 30,000 pounds of force. And then you, you take 10 of those, you've got 300,000 pounds of force. So long as you haven't stretched those studs, pushing the wheels to the hub all that force is pushing the wheel to the hub and it's that force that very high force thousands of pounds of force pushing it all together and the friction there is what holds that together it's not the little tabs those tabs don't do anything it's that it's all that pressure all that force that's pushing down onto the hub that's holding it all together and those tabs are just to make sure, just to reiterate what Doug said earlier, that's just to make sure that you're, you've centered everything up. Or once you tighten up those nuts to 500 foot-pounds, there is an unbelievable amount of force holding that whole thing together, as long as you haven't overstretched the studs. Once you overstretch those studs, you know, you're, you're getting nowhere near that. You might even get very little force because if the if you overstretch it it's the the spring the studs which acts like a spring no longer holds it and so you're losing all that all that strength all that force hopefully that covers the whole pilot pads old wise tales we get another another one out in the field a lot dave and i i haven't heard this one in a while but i think you're hearing about people's thinking that that aluminum's not as strong as steel is that still something you're hearing out there I just wrote a whole big story to a consultant today because he has school buses 
in the state of Massachusetts, and the state came to him and said, you have to remove them aluminum wheels. The only thing that is legal in the state of Massachusetts are black steel wheels because they're so much stronger than aluminum, so you have to take them off. So I spent a good part of my morning writing a dissertation about why aluminum wheels, forged aluminum wheels, are so much stronger than steel wheels so he can go basically back to the state of Massachusetts and fight this battle with them. So, Mike, it's alive and well. <laughs> I, think there's a, I think there's a misconception, though, because people say, well, steel is stronger than aluminum. Well, if you look at the ultimate tensile strengths and things like that, you would say yes, but it's all part of design. I think that's what we need to talk about is the wheels that we design are significantly lighter. And if you want to say from a strength perspective in terms of fatigue, strength, fatigue, life, uh, they have the same or similar testing requirements um, that are from the standard industries. And so people would say, hey, wait a minute, steel is so much stronger than aluminum. Well, if you want to look at the ultimate tensile strength, but look at what you're designing and how that's all put together. And you'll see that pound for pound, the aluminum wheels are significantly stronger than the steel wheels. We can show that in a crush test. You can show that in impact tests, different things like that. Uh, the durability, I guess I would throw out there, would be where you're seeing the difference in what you're talking about, Dave, when you were working with your, your friend there in the state of Massachusetts. So the, the only thing I'm going to add to that is if you're interested in seeing why Aluminum is just as strong or stronger than steel. Everything Doug just said. Yeah, if you look at it on paper, you'll see that you know tensile strength for steel is greater and all this other stuff. But all of that is keyed to the geometry. And so if you look at an aluminum wheel and you look at how thick the face of that aluminum wheel is compared to a steel wheel, what you'll see is that an aluminum wheel is right around twice as thick. You've got twice as much metal that's holding everything together. So you've got twice as much metal that's in that aluminum wheel. Yes, the aluminum is lighter, but you've got twice as much metal holding it uh, in that in that area. Uh, measure any part of the wheel. You can measure the mounting flange area right there at the hub. That's going to be almost twice as thick for an aluminum wheel as it is for a steel wheel. And it's that extra thickness that really, uh, really helps get the, the aluminum wheel so strong compared to a steel wheel. Yeah, I'll throw something else in there, Mike. Just uh, as you know, we're continuing to drive and drive and drive uh, our designs. And you're right, design is so important. Process is so important that there are now areas of the wheel that are, well, less than two times. So just saying there's a, the, the design and the geometry is so critical for the overall durability of the part. Very good point. Yeah, there are parts of the wheel that an aluminum wheel, a steel wheel is made from plate. And so when these steel wheels are made, when the steel wheel guys are making their wheels, you'll see a consistent thickness because they start out with a plate of steel. One of the great things about aluminum wheels is that we start out with a forged hunk of metal. We're able to machine out those sections that aren't needed. And so you'll have areas, like I was saying earlier, that are very, very thick, that are twice as thick as steel, but in areas that don't need to be twice as thick, that there aren't a lot of stresses, 
you'll see us, uh, the aluminum wheels, getting about as thin as the steel wheels. But it's because there's no stress there. We have the ability to make it thin where it needs to be thin, make it thick where it needs to be thick, and end up with a, a design that is way lighter than anything steel could even dream of and still delivering the, the performance uh, or uh, equaling or bettering the performance out there. While we're talking about different materials, let's move on to cast versus forged because we got different kinds of aluminum out there. Let's talk about that a little bit. Dave, do you see, do you get a lot of questions about cast versus forged? We really do because everybody that has a pickup normally has a cast wheel and they always ask like, why can't you guys make all these fancy designs in your wheels and stuff? And again, I know you and Doug being from the engineering world can explain this in a much different terms than I do. But I tell the guys, this is at every training class or anytime they ask me this question, I said, forging is a solid piece of metal that they heat up, they make a blocker, and then they forge it into shape. Then they go through a heat treat process. A cast wheel is basically they take a pot of aluminum, pour it into a mold, and that's a cast wheel. So you can have a lot of fancy designs and fancy stuff, but in our world, in the Class 8 truck world, strength is, is critical. And I was always told that, you know, the forging process really is a great process to make strength. And so that's kind of what I tell them. Now, you guys that uh, are a little bit more, uh, defined on this but this is how the layman people talk <laughs> right right well this this is a podcast for laymen so we want to be careful we don't go too far off into the weeds get me and doug talk especially doug be careful you know, get get us both talking about cast versus forged and we can talk for hours but doug i'll let you you go first on this one yeah i guess just a, the first thing to say is that obviously like you said dave when it's forged it's a different alloy we're using a 6,000 series alloy, as opposed to most cast wheels are like an A356, different designation, and no one really needs to know the difference other than that they, they can reach different mechanical properties due to the processes that they're run through. And so there's a limitation based just on the alloy itself. But then when you go into the actual process, like you said, you're, you're, you have molten material that you pour into a mold. And when you do that, you create um, turbulence, just like if you pour a glass of water or whatever it might be, you're pouring into a glass, you see how the bubbles move and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that happens in, in casting as well. They try to eliminate that, reduce it. I cast, I did cast wheels for a number of years, 15 plus, and uh, we were always working at trying to eliminate inclusions, eliminate porosity, because once you are put up something obviously molten and it cools, it shrinks, and when it shrinks, that means you're going to create little gaps depending on how you cool it in different areas. So quite simply, there's there's a few more defects in cast wheels. There's porosity, the inclusions, as I said, and this all reduces the fatigue life. So you have to have larger cross sections. Um, cast wheels uh, have been able to make commercial eight vehicle wheels, but they are significantly heavier. I mean, we're running wheels now that are on the order of, you know, 39, uh, and then we're launching a 36 pound wheel. Back in the day, we did play around with this, and we were making 62-pound cast Class 8 wheels to meet some of the requirements for, you know, the commercial uh, industry. So it's just, there's no comparison in terms of the strength. And I'll say the other thing, too, is you want lightweight. We need lightweight, and so we need to optimize structures. So if you want all these fancy designs, 
that just adds a lot more weight and I don't think anybody's really willing to pay for the weight versus design in the commercial vehicle market. Uh, just one more thing, it's funny. I, I was working on some wheels before I came into the forged realm uh, cast wheels, and we were making large 20 inch wheels for a truck, uh, a pickup truck, like you said, Dave, uh, weighed over 40 pounds. And so that thing, uh, what, I don't know what quarter ton, and now we're talking, you know, 7,400 pound load rating, at 36 pounds now for our wheels. So dramatic difference. Right. Probably the only other uh, thing I'd like to add, and maybe Dave, I think you, you mentioned it was, uh, if anybody's gotten an ice cube and you put it in your mouth and it, it breaks open and there's a big air bubble in the middle, that's what happens when you cool anything. You know, you get the, the little air bubbles in there. And that's the problem that cast wheels have that Doug was talking about. They'll have these little air bubbles in there that's, that weaken the wheel. The cast wheels, I, I also spent many years in the cast wheel business. I thought we got pretty good at chasing those, those little air bubbles, controlling them, making sure they were in the right location so they didn't cause too much problems, but we couldn't get rid of them. And, uh, and so that's always going to happen with cast wheels. It doesn't matter if you're driving a car the kind of loads you're going to have on your car don't need to have anything more than cast wheels. Even a light duty pickup truck, I'm seeing the cast wheels seem to work just fine for them. But you start getting into these heavy duty applications, especially for class eight trucks. But even in some of these uh, medium duty applications, you're going to need some more strength than that. And, and that's where you're going to really forge to, starts making a lot of sense. So now that we've talked a little bit about steel and aluminum and cast, let's talk a little bit about mixing it up. What, what about mixing up steel and aluminum? Any thoughts on that, Dave? Oh, yeah. This is one of my P's because I go out there and a lot of our customers, you can't see the inner steel wheels on the duels. So they, they run steel inners and aluminum outers. And what you tell them is the flux rate of that steel wheel compared to the flex rate of that aluminum wheel is so much different. And what you really find in the industry a lot is they're very good at airing up that outer duel because it's easy to get to. The inner duel is a little tougher, and a lot of times they don't get the same air pressure. So if you're carrying 110 in your outer duel and you're carrying 90 in your inner duel, that outer wheel is carrying most of the load. And then that wheel's in there really flexing. And a lot of times you have that wheel break apart, the steel wheel break apart, and then gouge the aluminum wheel. And they're like, what happened? Well, if you're not hauling a bunch of loads, it doesn't matter as much as when you're fully loaded and you're up to the max every trip. And so you try to explain to them, like, hey, I'm a big fan of running dual aluminums or dual steels, but I, I really am a big fan of not mix in the same one. Can you do it? Yes, but make sure if you do it, you're all in fiberglass, something that your net weight is about 10,000 pounds compared to 80. You know what I mean? There's a lot of customers out there that are doing that, right? I mean, the majority of the customers out there are less than load. They're less than load. And if they're less than load, that's great. But I know the freight business pretty well, and they'll pick up any type of load anywhere, any place. And if you're hauling heavy, 
that's not a good application. That's uh, that's my opinion. I just don't like it. I've seen too many horror stories in the industry because a steel inner and aluminum outer on a heavy loaded truck just doesn't seem to work that well. So basically the takeaway is you can do it, but you have to recognize that you're adding a level of, if, if you're going to be loading it up, if you're going to ever load up that vehicle. Yeah. Most yeah. will do that eventually or occasionally at least. Once it gets loaded up, then you have a different flex rate. And what that means is that the steel wheel will flex differently than the aluminum wheel. And so now you have one that's flexing more than the other. So you're transferring the load to the one that does not flex. And then on top of that, you don't have the inflation pressures right. So that transfers some more of the load to the one. And so what you end up with is a situation where you're really highly overloading one wheel and the other one because it's flexing and because it's underinflated, it's sort of going along for the ride and barely carrying anything. Yes. Is that accurate, Dave? Absolutely. What you just said is is the way I feel. And most of the time when people are picking up loads in the industry, it's really funny because one guy told me he says, look, I'm bidding on a set load. So I'm bidding on a 40,000-pound load, or I'm bidding on a 35,000-pound load. You don't go in and say, hey, I got a lighter truck. I can haul more. They already have their load set. You know what I right. mean? So you can't say, I'm going to throw more. Now, so he says, it's critical when you're bidding on the heavier loads that you know that that's just not an application you would like to be in. So. That's my 33 years of seeing issues in the field. So that comes to mind. Okay. Uh, that That's all I had. to tell Dave. you the funny story? You want me yeah, to let's you hear your story, story, Dave. Okay. Chuck Bartley does all the tech services now, or tech lines and web lines and stuff for us. So the other day he calls me and he's like, I got to tell you this one. So the guy called me. He's a motorhome guy course they run pms right oh yeah and he's so mad he's like who designed your wheel and that guy doesn't know what he's doing because it says 130 psi max on the wheel all i get to do is drive my motor home down the road and let air out of the tire so i can keep under that 130 psi and Chuck just about died laughing. He's like, Buddy, it's cold inflation pressure. They're going to climb all day long, and you don't have to stop and take air out. He's like, well, why don't you write that? And the guy's like, well, unfortunately, we all know it. We live by it. But that poor guy was letting was, air he, out of oh, That's a lot of work. All day long. He just keep pulling over and let the air out so he could stay under 100 and 30 psi you know what and I mean? then he'd have to air it up in the morning <laughs> oh he, he would be fumed in the morning right that's bad oh my goodness well that is a conscientious customer we should we should, that uh, <laughs> if 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 all of our customers are that conscientious that would take away all of our problems but that's our yeah. darn close to it but yeah he really he's really paying good attention to what we put on i thought we said cold inflation pressure on the roll stamp but maybe well we we do we do and the tires say that it says it right on the tires just gotta you know? know what it means 
I don't know what it means. (laughs) And Harry, you know, and what's great is the TPMS, you know, back when they were red and green, well, now they got actually digital meters now. So he can watch them climb and watch them, you know, like, uh uh-oh, I'm getting too hot. You know what I mean? Or he doesn't Uh... even know that they're too hot. So that's what he's doing, watching the the, the tires grow as he drives down the road. So then he thinks he has to let air out. And then he starts driving again. It climbs back up. And like you said, in the morning, he had to go find a place to air them all back up again. Real world story. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've dealt with some of those motorhome guys. And they they really do watch everything. And they are more diligent than than a lot of the professional truckers. I'm always amazed at at how much detail they go into on, on their vehicles. I feel for the guy. I feel, but hey, kudos <laughs> to him that he's watching out for what we put in our documentation. So that's kudos. He called the hotline. Yeah, or, that's what I was saying. You know, Good thing what? he called, or he'd still be doing it. Right. Yeah. Right, that... boy. He'd be cursing us out for the rest of his life if he didn't call. He would be. He w- <laughs> he wanted. You know, I I kept I kidded Grant for one day. I said this guy was going to kill you, Grant. He's mad. And Grant's like. Grant just kept laughing and laughing. It's like, <laughs> you know, like. Uh, by the way, Grant DeGeorge is our wheel design manager. So he's the one responsible for the wheel design. So that's that's who this guy was was uh, was complaining to about. <laughs> yeah. I think that wraps it up for our wise tales. Uh, I think that's a you know a great discussion. Thank you guys. I think it really did help get uh, some of the, the those things that are floating around the industry that we need to clear up and. Uh, hopefully this helps out a few people. Remember, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And uh, feel free to share uh, on uh, social media. We'd love getting the word out. If you have any questions or comments or you want to view episode transcripts, you can visit our website at alcoawheels.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to Behind the Wheels. Uh, See you next time. Sponsored by Alcoa Wheels, the global leader in aluminum wheel innovation, manufacturing, and technology. Inventing the first forged aluminum wheel in 1948, its team of experts continue to develop the most lightweight, efficient, and high-performing commercial vehicle aluminum wheel products. Bringing you revolutionary innovations like Alcoa DuraBright wheels, Alcoa Dura Black Wheels, the new Alcoa Wheels Hubboard Technology, and the lightest truck wheel on the market, Alcoa Ultra One 22.5 by 8.25 wheel. Alcoa Wheels, the global leader in aluminum wheel innovation.